Lauren. Mike. Lauren, why haven't you responded to my text message? Mm, because I was busy. That's why I didn't respond. I was away. <laughs> or I was attempting to be away. But you can't really ever be away, right? No, apparently not. That's the thing. All right. Let's talk about it. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. 25 years ago, the only online messaging option you had was on your desktop. Is that true? You were, I mean, neither of us were alive then, so how would we know? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it was just your desktop. And when you got up and went outside or went to the bathroom, you could set an away message that let everybody know that you were unreachable. You were either in a live chat or you were out and about. Things are very different now, obviously. We all have these little pocket computers with us at all times, and everyone we know can reach out to us at any moment, all of the time. We are probably not meant to be this connected as human beings, because being always on drains our time and our attention, and it makes us all just a little bit more anxious. Now, Lauren, you proposed a solution in a Wired story this week, and a lot of people are talking about this. I mean, they're talking about it on Twitter. Right, on Twitter, which we know is, does that even count? Yes, it counts. Okay. It definitely counts. <laughs> but in your story, you said we should bring back the away message. Please explain. I mean, do I need to explain it? <laughs> we should bring back the away message. So I think what we need to do is tell people who maybe aren't familiar. Right, people who are just slightly younger than us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What the away message is. Okay. So um, there was this thing back in the day called AOL, America Online. Okay. I think our audience is a little bit older, like yeah. probably around our age. So a lot of you are not going to need this explanation. But there was AOL, and that was how many of us got onto the internet. It was actually dial up internet. And for a lot of us, that was the gateway to always being, no pun intended, because I had a Gateway 2000 computer <laughs> in my home growing up. But um, but that was like a gateway, a pathway for a lot of us to being online all the time or a lot of the time. And within AOL, there was a chat service called AOL Instant Messenger, which many people called AIM, A-I-M for short. And within AIM, there was a feature known as away messages. So this was live chat. This was real-time internet communication. So you would log on to AOL or AOL Instant Messenger. A buddy list, which was your friend list, would appear, you know, in this like sort of vertical uh, text box on the side of your, your, you know, your screen, your home screen. And um, you would see who was online and who was offline. And when people were offline, or even if they were just online but unavailable, in many cases, they would throw up an away message. They would draft a message within this text box. And sometimes they would add these little embellishments or like different fonts and colors and tildes and asterisks and quotes and song lyrics and all that stuff. And they would basically say like what they were doing that made them unavailable to chat. They were no longer DTC, down to chat. Um, and then sometimes people would just use this as a form of personal expression as well. So in, in many instances, it created this guardrail around our availability. In other instances, it was just like, hey, I'm here, but I'm not here. I'm not paying attention. And I'm going to like use this, this thing as like a form of creative expression. I always likened it to the whiteboard on the outside of your dorm room in college. Mm -hmm. 
everybody at my school had a whiteboard on their dorm room door and you could say like, you know, uh, at class until four. I don't know why people would do that, but it's just like if your friends were looking for you, that was literally the only way they could find you. So you would just tell you would use it as like a way to to signal what you were doing. And then you would also write song lyrics on it. right? Of course. Yeah, yeah. it was a, it was a dry erase board. Right. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you'd say, like, I'm at the cafeteria, meet me for dinner or whatever it was. Yeah. I think both you and I are old enough, um, despite what I said earlier about how young and young we are. <laughs> um, I think we're both old enough that we remember those times. I am going to absolutely date myself. But when I went away to college, it was last century. It was the last few months of 1999. And I didn't have a cell phone yet. And um, AOL Instant Messenger was very much a part of my life. But I actually didn't go to school with my own personal computer. I used the computer lab on campus. Mm. So sometimes I would use my roommate's computer. She had a Hewlett Packard and she would let me log on to my AIM and see what was going on with my buddy list, um, which is very nice of her. We're still friends to this day. Hi, Jenna. Uh, (laughs) But um, This was the earliest days of this kind of melding of our digital communications with IRL communications and figuring out ways we could use these online tools to communicate more effectively and enhance what was still very much an analog experience. And I remember, to your point about the whiteboard, the following year, um, at that point, I had my own PC. I had a Compaq. And I got one specifically with a CD burner because maybe or maybe not we were downloading songs off of Napster and burning maybe. up the CDs. Maybe and not. I, yeah, maybe not. I think the statute of limitations has expired on that. Uh, well, there's nothing illegal about burning songs <laughs> that you downloaded off of Napster for free. Is there? No, not at all. Okay, I didn't think so. No, no, no. It was all good and above board. Uh, and uh, we were connected on the campus internet. And um, there, I was living in a suite at this point. It wasn't just a dorm room. So there were like a few rooms within the suite. And sometimes instead of going and knocking on each other's doors, we would use our aim to message each other and say, hey, want to head out to the cafe and get some dinner, want to go to the party now or whatever it was we were doing, want to go to you know the game, whatever it was we were doing. And I remember that felt like a moment to me. That felt like a moment of like, oh, these people are literally feet away and I am relying instead on digital communications. And like, what is that? It's kind of weird. It's yeah. funny and it's weird. And now it's just like what we do. Like yeah. we, you and I sit in an office all day and we could be feet away from each other and, and we're, we're slacking. Still slacking. <laughs> yeah. So it like laid the foundations for like AIM laid the foundations for the sort of always on life that we have now. Right. And I think in writing this piece, I realized that my nostalgia, it's, it's complicated because there are layers of abstraction here. Like I not only miss away messages and the ability to just say, hey, I'm away. Please do not disturb me. Don't message me. But I also missed just an era when we weren't messaging quite as much. And one of those things we can never sort of return to. And the other thing is that I am proposing a technology solution for a, a technology problem, which we know can can be further complicating. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, like I, I'm not entirely sure that having away messages now would fix the problems that exist around messaging. But I'd be willing to try because I think what happened, and I talked to one of the creators of iMessage, Apple iMessage, around this, um, Justin Santamaria. He described it as there used to be asynchronous text messaging, which was you know SMS on our our phones, like using T9 to text each other or whatever, and then it was sort of just fired off, and maybe when the person saw it, they saw it, and then there was synchronous messaging, which was. AOL Instant Messenger and ICQ and like live chat services. And so there's this understanding that when you were 
on the live chat that you were engaged in a conversation. And there was the understanding that when you were not live chatting and you were getting SMSs on your phone, that it was asynchronous and it just, the message sort of came in and you'd respond when you got the chance. But then because uh, the way our social contracts have changed and because of technology, those have completely merged. Yeah, it's interesting because like the away message gave you a, a way to tell people that you were unavailable. Mm-hmm. But in this forum that was still largely asynchronous, I mean, for the most part, right? Like you could still have back and forth chats with people, but there was not this like, really heavy expectation that you respond immediately. When we did move largely to the technologies that allowed you to have immediate response, most likely in like the smartphone era, right? Uh, You know, 10 years after the fact, then all of a sudden the away message was left behind and we didn't have it anymore, which is, that's when we need it the most is once we move to these like always on lifestyles when we all get cell phones with on-screen keyboards and all the apps that allow us to talk to each other. Right, because you're never really away. Yeah. You're always connected. And there are some things that exist now on our mobile apps, our mobile messaging apps that let us do this. Like do you um, you're on a Pixel? Yep. What do you use on Pixel to tell people you're just not available? Uh I use my willpower. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> so you just let your messages pile up. Yeah, because it's fine. But there are some features on Pixel that are built into what the control center or what it's called control yes. center on. Yeah, so there's iPhone. do not disturb mode. There's do not disturb. The most simple one is that you just flip your phone face down and it automatically puts your phone in do not disturb mode. It's pretty great. Um, you can you know set different uh, levels of disturbance and set notifications for all of the different apps and for different contacts in your contacts list. So you know, for example, like my wife can always message me and can always call me, whereas like there are PR people who uh, it always goes straight to voicemail. Sorry, PR people, but that's the truth. You know, it's like I, I just don't. I can't handle the volume of messages I have now. So I limit them using those controls. Um, those are for you know separate controls for the native apps, like for just regular Android messaging and for regular Android phone, as well as for things like WhatsApp. You know, I set different different controls on different apps because I talk to different sets of people on all the different apps. And there's also something on Android called schedule send, where you can you know, write a text message, but then choose to send it later, which is supposed to be good for when you have lots of friends or family in different time zones. Is there? I've never used it. This is what Google tells me because I did reach out to Google. I re- I reached out to Google last week and and I, I love writing emails like this. I'm like, hey, random question. Has Google, uh, especially with the implementation of RCS, ever considered doing something like an away message? And they're like, no, great idea. But here are some other things that you can do, you know, currently on Android phones. And so I learned about schedule send through that email exchange. And I was thinking, oh, that's kind of that's kind of cool. I do wonder how many people would utilize that. Like, I think part of the problem we're describing is not just the tools. It's how people it's how we we've all sort of become these messaging maniacs. You can get frustrated at the way someone's messaging you, but you must first make amends by owning up to your own problems with messaging. Yeah, like all of these tools that are around, they don't really matter because we're still overusing all of these apps and we still have like that expectation that when we text somebody, they're going to text right back. If they don't, it's rude or it means that they're mad at you or it means, you know, pile on whatever meaning you want to assign to it based on like your own 
social anxiety, but that's what it is, right? It's like you you expect an immediate return, and if you don't get it, you start to get anxious. Totally. And on iOS, as another example, you can put your phone into do not disturb mode or what Apple now calls focus mode. Mm. And then when you go to message your friend initiated text, you'll see it'll say like, you know, Michael has notification silenced. I would take that as you're sleeping, you're driving, you just you're doing something that requires concentration. But as Justin Santamaria, who I spoke to for this story, pointed out, other people might interpret that as, oh, that's good. I can send the message because they're not going to be disturbed. Yeah. It's, not going, it's not going to come through and interrupt them as they're driving or whatever it is. So rather than these things being guardrails, they feel more like squishy orange traffic cones that we just sort of plow through because we see that as malleable and like we can make our own rules around messaging. Yeah. And we should take a break soon. But first, uh, we have to talk about ellipsis anxiety. Oh, my gosh. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> Someone is typing. Several people are typing. Simultaneously, the best and worst feature ever to come to messaging. Is... Who really started that? Was that Facebook? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Let's I'd have just to blame them. Pretty deep into the memory <laughs> banks. But yeah, I feel comfortable blaming them. It was either them <laughs> or Apple. But yeah, like, you know, you're somebody, somebody else is composing a reply. And you see the dot, 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 or some sort of notification that they're typing, like in, in uh, Signal, it's a little bouncing user icon, right? Uh, and then it goes away. Right. Because the person is drafting and then thinking and then drafting and then thinking or then drafting and getting distracted and walking away. Because somebody else messaged them and now they're right. talking to that person, right? <laughs> right. And then it just sends you down this like rabbit hole. It's terrible. It, you know, like what would be better Seeing that or just getting a message saying, like an automated message saying, I, you know, this person can't talk right now because they have chosen not to be disturbed. Right. And you can do that, too. Like, I think on iPhone, there's an automatic function that tells people when you're driving. It pops yeah. up and says, like, I'm driving a moving vehicle and yeah, I can't respond. phone's in car mode. But, yeah, wouldn't it be better if we had some version of away messages that applied across all of our mobile apps so that the thing that people saw when they went to initially text you was your status. And if they texted you anyway, then they got a pop-up. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking this idea. And the more, the more I think about it, my story was really smart. Um, no, I'm liking this idea because you're right. <laughs> I'm like, glad you recognized the, that. <laughs> the ellipses, the dot, 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 is really more of just, it's making us more captive audiences. Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually turning it that much more into live chat as opposed to asynchronous. I spend so much time just staring at my phone waiting for the person to hit send. Who is this person that never hit send in your life? Oh, everybody. Do I do that? Sometimes, but you're not in my top 20 offenders. Oh, I thought you were going to say I was not in your top 20 people to text. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. Well, look, let's take a break and we'll be right back. So today, Lauren and I are talking about messaging, how it's changed over the years, how it got so broken and what we can do to fix it. And this is the part of the show where we fix it. <laughs> we're going to fix it, right? We're fixing everything. Right? Yes, we're fixing all of the messaging problems today. All right, so your primary solution is to bring back the away message. How would this work for like, let's just say text messages? I know nothing. I know nothing. This is why <laughs> tech companies pay UI and UX designers all the money to come up with these things. Okay, in reality, I think on desktop, chat apps, it wouldn't be that hard to implement because we already have existing protocols and examples around this, mm -hmm. aka 
AOL Instant Messenger and away messages. Um, I think solving the problem on mobile from an interface perspective is probably the biggest challenge because our mobile devices are smaller. In many cases, we don't see a person's status or what they're up to before we text them. We might get some kind of automated response after we've texted them, which also, by the way, can feel a little bit spammy the way it currently happens on mobile now. So like kind of in the way that like you get like a reply, yes, if you want to confirm this doctor's appointment and then you immediately get like another pop up. But, you know, it's not like a sort of a real conversation you're having. Yeah. And part of that challenge stems from the fact that mobile and desktop chat apps are now merged, right? Like Mm -hmm. the the way that we're messaging over mobile is no longer happening over SMS in some cases. It's happening over Wi-Fi. It's it's using data. And so um, there's this simultaneous experience that's happening on desktop. I'm probably being too abstract about this, but like here's an example. iMessage, which is now known as Messages, which used to be known as iChat, right? It's had this evolution. Yep. When I get a text message, which is not actually a text message, it's a data message on my iPhone. It's coming through on my iPhone, my iPad, and my Mac computer all at the same time. And you have that experience where your whole house just dings. Dings, right. And I may have like one of them silenced, but not the other or whatever. So you'd have to create kind of a uniform experience or maybe not uniform. Maybe someone doesn't want to be disturbed on their phone, but they don't mind if it comes through on their desktop because that's where they're doing their work. Um, Or that's where they might be able to like get the information that they need from someone like it has to be really thoughtfully designed these days because it is not just like an isolated or verticalized experience of where we're chatting. We're chatting across all of our devices. Yeah. What would you envision this looking like? Uh, Well, I think that Slack gets it right. Okay. Right. Slack allows you to pause notifications for a certain amount of time. It allows you to set hours that you would like to be disturbed and hours you would not like to be disturbed within the app. Uh, And it has a visual indication of your availability. Right. People have said this about Microsoft Teams as well. Yes. Microsoft Teams um, is, I'm sure, an excellent product, which I've never used. (laughs) (laughs) I have used it for meetings with Microsoft. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) Um, Just like I've only used Google Meet when I talk to other people who are Googlers. Uh, So, you know, it has a little Z for when you're pause notifications and it has a a little circle that's hollow when you're unavailable and green when you are available. Like Mm -hmm. those types of experiences are not too hard to build into native chat apps. The only problem is that the native Android app is probably not going to be able to get a signal from an iOS user when the iOS user tells the world what their current status is. That's a great point. So like the Google phones can't talk to the Apple phones unless all the companies get together and they say, you know what? We're going to support RCS. Yeah. Or some other standard as yet to be determined, right? Some other way of communicating status across multiple chat platforms at once. Sounds like it shouldn't be too hard. But of course, if history proves anything, they're not going to want to do that, right? That's a, that's an excellent point. I wasn't thinking about the inter... I was thinking about interoperability among the same category of devices. But yeah, going from you know Android phone to a message that's ultimately going to appear on my messages app on my Mac laptop, how is that going to work? If I don't want to be disturbed on my laptop, your message is still probably going to come through yeah. from your Pixel phone. So like you'll Because you're get... not going to be able to see my little emoji or whatever it is or my little asterisks and my song quote right. that lets you know I'm away. Right. So like uh, blue bubble people will mm-hmm. be able to see your whatever your away message, whatever what John Mayer lyrics you've put in your away message are. Um, Dave Matthews. Thank Dave, you very much. D- uh, David. Yeah. David mm-hmm. Matthews. <laughs> 
that what we called him in 1999? But the green bubble people won't be able to see it, right? Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And I would normally say, well, here's an opportunity for some upstart to come up with something really cool. But mm-hmm. I think messaging is we're so it's so embedded in our daily lives now. And it's a lot of really, really big tech companies controlling that experience at the moment that I think it's very unlikely that you would suddenly get millions or potentially billions of people to use some other app. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just assume for a moment that the technology itself is not going to be the solution to our technology problems and that we as humans have to change our behaviors. What's your best advice for messaging and messaging well? I have um, I have two pieces of advice. Okay. One for how to message properly and one for how to be a good recipient. Let's hear it. Okay. Messaging properly, just send one text. Don't send 17 over 30 seconds. Oh my god, this is my, this is on my list. Okay, no, go ahead, please. Still my idea. <laughs> no, I want to hear I want to hear your vitriol about this because I've got plenty, but I want to hear yours. Oh, okay. Well, I I've determined that how you write your messages can make a big difference. If you have a lot to communicate, first ask a person if they're free. Hey, have a second. And then maybe don't fire off a series of messages staccato style, right? Write it like you would like a thoughtful mini letter. So yeah, echoing what you're saying, don't fire off 17 messages in one thread. Yeah. You know what? I think um, desktop texting is the culprit for this. Because we're so much faster on our keyboards. Yeah. And would be on our touchscreens or T9. Yeah. And people are used to like real time. So they want to get all their thoughts out, mm-hmm. but they don't want to leave the person hanging. So they'll type like eight words, hit enter, type eight words, hit enter, type 10 words, hit enter. And meanwhile, the person on the other end, their phone is vibrating in their pocket and they're trying to like get the keys in the door and they've got their bag in one hand and their phone is going nuts and they're like, what the hell is going on? And then- they finally get their phone out of their pocket and they look at it and they see that their friend is just like sending them a picture of an actor and asking, don't you think this person looks like a lobster? <laughs> you know, it's it's anxiety inducing to receive 17 texts over the course of two minutes. So don't do that to people. I kind of want to see the lobster man. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he does not look like a lobster. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No, no, it's true. And group texts too. Like with emails, we at least have some kind of standard It's just like assumed you don't hit reply all with group texts Mm -hmm. that just goes totally out the window because the point of the group text is you want everyone to weigh in. So if you put your phone down for a while and your your group text blows up, it's, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Leave me alone. I'm pretty pretty sure I put on do not disturb taping a podcast. And here we go. Someone's like, nope, I got it. I got to know. Producer Boone, leave that in. Let's see. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see who's writing to me. Oh, it's our editor in chief. Okay. Gideon. You are allowed to interrupt me. Okay, after I respond to Gideon, what's your second piece of advice? Okay, my second piece of advice is how to be a good recipient of text messages, which is forget about it. Just forget about it. Turn off all your notifications until you are ready to look at your phone. Okay, that's very good advice. What if it's urgent? I mean, obviously, if you're meeting somebody for dinner, you want to pay attention. Mm -hmm. But then when that person arrives... Put your phone on Do Not Disturb, Mm -hmm. put it in your pocket, and sit down and enjoy your dinner and just check your messages when you're in the ride share back home or on the bus or whatever, back home, because that's the way that we used to live and everything was fine. And I'm not saying like, you know, smartphones have ruined everything and they're totally distracting us because, I mean, even though they are, like, there's still important things that you need your phone for, like during dinner, and it's fine, but just knowing that you can't be reached 
at all times is, I think, a very healthy social signal to send out to the other people in your life. Then over time, it's going to be annoying at first, right? It's going to be annoying for you because you're going to miss things that you otherwise would not have missed if you'd been paying attention. And your friends are going to get annoyed at you because you're not immediately responding. However, over time, six weeks, three months, you become that person. That's right. Who is not the type of person who immediately responds to everything. Right. And the expectations are lower that you're going to respond. That's right. And at that point, you get your brain back. Wow. And you can just be you. And wow. you're not you're not, you know, beholden to all of your friends all the time. You sound like someone who could sell like a like a little conference series on this. Like 3 months to getting your brain back. You <laughs> just... go on tour, you charge people at the door, you write a book about it, you'd have a podcast, you'd have to do this one first. Just text Mike Life Coach <laughs> to 40404. <laughs> the Mike bot will give you advice. <laughs> Wait, so there'd be a Mike bot messaging people on how not to message. I love it. I love it. There's a whole business here. No, I'm serious. Like, you know, I think your away message idea mm-hmm. is just something that you invent for yourself. You write your own away message for your life, and then you just deploy it. This is so great. I love this advice because mine is like so specific. Mine is really about the content of messages, and yours is transcending that and just saying, no, don't. you don't need to engage all the time at all. I mean- There are a lot of people, I'm sure, who are listening who are like, yeah, that would never work because of work, because of I have kids, because of X number of reasons. However, like, that's fine. There are times in your life when you can do that, though. You know, like when you are home with your children, you can turn it off. When you are not expected to be at the beck and call of your boss at work, you can Mm -hmm. put your phone down and just not look at it for an hour. What if you work for Elon Musk? Then I, I... feel sorry for you? I don't know. <laughs> we have no good advice to give. I have not talked to a lot of people who worked at Tesla, mm-hmm. so maybe I can't say that accurately. <laughs> However, like, you know, try it for 15 minutes. Try it for 30 minutes. Try it for like, you know, 9 p.m. onwards. Mm-hmm. It's liberating. I guess I would still say that if you are committed to using messaging as a primary form of communication, because it is a great utility, um, one, To what we said earlier, don't fire off a series of text messages if it can be accomplished in one. Here's another thing, too, that that works sometimes. Um, Sometimes you don't have to ask a question back. Like you're kind of looking for an out, a way to end the conversation. Um, And one way to do that is just to respond to what someone asked you or the thing that they needed from you. And then just don't you don't need to engage after that. You don't need to. You don't need to ask, how are you? Because they asked how you're doing. You don't need to say, like, how's your day going? Or tell me more about this. You can just have a natural endpoint to that message because you're using it as sort of a send and receive. Like, I needed information. I provided the information. Here you go. It doesn't always have to be a long, drawn out thing. Um, And then sort of calming yourself to be like, I actually don't need to respond. I don't. My friend knows I care about them. I don't need to go into a whole thing right now about how are you? How are you? No, how are you? And sometimes you just don't have the time for it. (laughs) Also, I think to be a good citizen in your world, it might be nice to start a text with no need to respond, but I would like, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Not urgent, but yes. The truth is that even as I wrote the essay for Wired about bringing back the AOL away message, I didn't actually fully believe that technology solutions would solve our technology problems. I think we do have to change our human behavior a bit, too. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to end. Uh, Let's take another break 
And when we come back, we'll do our recommendations. Sounds good. All right. Welcome back. This is the part of our show where we each recommend something that you, the listeners, might enjoy. So Lauren, you're going to go first. Please tell us what is your recommendation. Okay, Mike, you know how I don't like recommending things that I haven't fully read yet? Sure, if you say so. I'm going to break my own (laughs) rule here. (laughs) So in this month's issue of Wired, we have a feature story on the um, Oscar-winning director and writer Taika Waititi. Uh, The photos, by the way, are incredible. Check those out. I haven't read the story yet. It was written by Jennifer Kahn. But I'm going to read it, and I'm going to recommend you read it too, because Taika Waititi seems like a really cool dude. And the reason why he seems like a really cool dude is because a couple of years ago, when he won his first Academy Award for writing the film Jojo Rabbit, he um, gave a a little talk. He was actually asked about some stuff that was happening with the Writers Guild at the time. And his response was, well, we're just going to play it for you. Apple needs to fix those keyboards. Though they are impossible to write on, they've they've gotten worse. It makes me want to go back to PCs. Because PC keyboard, the bounce back on for your fingers is way better. I know, hands up who still uses a PC. You know what I'm talking about. This is a way better keyboard. And those Apple keyboards are horrendous. So basically, Taika took this opportunity when he had a big platform after winning an Academy Award to complain about Apple's keyboards. And boy, do I feel this, Taika. I quite literally feel it right now. I feel it in my shoulder. <laughs> I feel it in my elbow. He was pointing to his elbow at one point as he was giving this little speech. I feel it in my hand. Mike, you and I were just talking about how I, I prefer to come in the office right now just because the chair is so much more comfortable and just in the hopes that will help my arm feel better. Um, but really, Apple's keyboard is at the heart of this. So I have not read this feature yet uh, by Jennifer Kahn on Taika Watiti in Wired, but I'm planning on reading it. And as far as I can tell, this guy is cool in my book because we share a, a similar opinion on Apple's keyboards. Absolutely, mm. totally. It's- I don't even know if he'd be like, Maybe he's been canceled. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not been canceled. Right. I mean, we did just do a profile of him, so hopefully not. Yeah. Um, but I totally agree with him on, on Apple's keyboards. It's live on uh, Wired's website right now. Yeah, the story is live. Not the story about Apple's keyboards, the story <laughs> about Taika Waititi on Wired.com. Mike, what's your recommendation this week? Uh, I'm going to recommend a book that I'm almost done with. Um, Unfortunately, I already know how it ends because it is the new Bob Spitz book. It came out at the very end of last year. Okay. It's called Led Zeppelin, A Biography. Oh, so it's about Eddie Van Halen. It's not about Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) (laughs) It's about the mighty Led Zepp. Cool. Um, Bob Spitz wrote what is probably the best Beatles book. It's just called The Beatles. And it, it was amazing. I read it. I think right at the start of the pandemic, when I was like spending a lot of time, all of a sudden I had all this time. So I was just reading and reading and um, I blew through that book. It's like a doorstop and I blew through it in like two weeks, which is really fast for me. Um, And then I heard he was writing a book about Led Zeppelin and I put it on my list because Bob Spitz is a fantastic popular music rock journalist. Uh, He writes very intelligently, very thorough research, a lot of really good interview material, and, um, you know, pretty meticulously fact-checked. There's a lot of myth around Led Zeppelin. What are the myths? Oh, just, you know, stories 
like backstage antics that maybe did or didn't happen, or maybe it was the roadies, but over years it became, you know, Robert Plant. Uh, you know, there's a lot of infamous incidents in the band's history. And uh, I feel like reading the Bob Spitz book really kind of puts a lot of that into like, well, you know, this book says it happened. This book says it didn't. But here's the story anyway. So you still get the story, but you also, you know, get the the note that it may not be fact. Anyway, it's also just like chock full of musical stuff from their early years, like everything that they were stealing from and borrowing from, everything that they were listening to, their contemporaries in the music world, all of the uh, sessions that Jimmy Page played on. So if you're a Led Zeppelin nerd, which like I kind of am, you're nodding. This does not surprise me. <laughs> this is okay. I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin because sure. an older sibling was really into them. Well, yeah. And yeah. also like we grew up in like the the golden age of FM radio. Right. And also we grew up at the time when like the remastered, the CD remasters were all coming out and like Led Zeppelin put out its big, you know, remastered catalog. And I think that hit like, I don't know when I was 17. Yeah. Changed my life. Anyway, the book is great. It's really good. I've read everything about Led Zeppelin and it was filled with new information. So if you're a Led Zeppelin nerd, you got to get the Bob Spitz book. Cool. Yeah. How many members of Led Zeppelin are still alive? Three. Okay. Who? Yeah. Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, and John Paul Jones. Cool. John Bonham, the drummer, uh, is the one who died, and the band broke up when he died. So you're not going to audition to be the drummer for Led Zeppelin anytime soon? There is nobody on earth who can replace John Bonham on drums. Well said. I'm just going to – That's I, you argue with me all you want. I'm not going to argue with you. No, oh, I'm talking to like Twitter right <laughs> the now. The people out there, the <laughs> internet. Oh boy. Speaking of the internet, that is our show for this week. Thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes and be sure to look for our away messages to find out if we're available to answer you. Twitter should have away messages. Absolutely, right? Yes. Our producer is Boone Ashworth. Goodbye. We will be back next week with a new show. We're going to be talking about Apple next week. Yes, WWDC is happening. It's all happening. Monday, June 6th is the keynote. Watch it, experience it with us live on Wired, and then we'll talk about it. Sounds good. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life, or why China's targeting the US dollar, and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.